This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the show. That's Trav. I'm Drew. And I'm Trav. This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. And as always, we are here to talk about 80s and 90s media. Did you do your homework this week, Trav? I did my homework. Me too. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Uh, I hope all of you out there in podcast land did your homework as well. Um, Don't forget to contact us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. And we want your ideas for shows. We want your ideas for formats. We want your ideas about anything. Anything. We want to hear it. If you've got something to say, we want to hear it. Exactly. How are you doing, Trav? Pretty darn good. Weather's awesome. Been out walking outside every day and uh, enjoying the day off. How about you? Um, it's been really awesome. I've still been at home with the new baby, so everything's been going great with that. Um, go back to work really soon, which is unfortunate because I don't want to go back to work. And I'm going to miss my <laughs> son quite a bit. Like, it's going to be difficult to be like, see you later. I'm only going to see you for part of the day now. Yeah. This is it. This yep. is forever now. Part of the day. That's and I'm going to be exhausted. Yeah, that's what I'm not looking forward to because it's been easy to maintain the, like, up relationship with our daughter. Yeah. And, like, give her the extra attention and everything. It's just been super easy because I've been home. Yeah. And it's going to be more difficult now after De- having worked all day. You Definitely. Know, doesn't matter what you do after a whole day of work, if it's physically or mentally tax- taxing. It makes it difficult at the end of the day to do anything, period. Yeah. So. Did you do this homework with Evie? Um, we decided that she was too young. Okay. We okay. decided she was too young. Um, we, uh, My wife and I watched it. And then we were like, yeah, I don't think so. The Gamork would have been a little bit too much for her. Sure. And then the couple of bloody scenes, I think, were a little bit too much for yeah. her. So yeah. very soon, though, I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait. Cam and I watched it, though. I mean, he <laughs> sat on my lap while we yeah. watched it, so that was really good. But, uh, he may have fallen asleep. He most definitely fell asleep. <laughs> um, so today in the production of this podcast, I used some articles uh, from across the interwebs, one from EW.com, and that was by Rosie Cordrow, one from Dipley.com, and that was by Jordan Clays, one from Ranker.com, and that was by Hannah Collins. And then again, we used 80skids.com, and again, it is uncredited. So <laughs> I don't know where they're getting their information from, but whoever's providing it doesn't want to be credited. So, good for you, 80s kids. Thank you, somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I think we're ready to hit that homework review. How about you? Let's do it. All right. So, we did The NeverEnding Story from 1984, and this movie was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. It's based on The NeverEnding Story by Michael Enda. Um, It's starring Barrett Oliver as Bastion Balthazar Bucks. Balthazar Bucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Noah Hathaway as Atreyu. Um, so a little backstory with the Treyu and his casting. Um, there was a different director attached before Wolfgang was for this movie. And so there was a worldwide search. Um, they went through about 50,000 boys for the part of a Treyu and Hathaway ad- auditioned as many as seven times before he got the part. Jeez. So he got the part. Uh, the first director left the project because he was overwhelmed and didn't think that he could uh, do it. So he personally called Wolfgang, and Wolfgang was basically hired off of that re- recommendation. That's crazy. The casting process started over from the beginning Jeez. at that point. <laughs> um, finally, Hathaway was cast again after three or four more auditions, this time with Wolfgang Peterson. 
um, that's pretty interesting, right? It's almost like he was meant for the role. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right? pretty resilient for that kid to yeah, keep coming back. That's a lot of work, but I guess if you want to make it in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to be a troubled teen. Troubled teen. <laughs> uh, next, Tammy Stranich was the childlike empress. Um, finding the right childlike empress took 3,000 auditions. Holy crap. Like, dang, right? This yeah. movie, I tell you what, this movie. Um, Gerald McRaney as uh, Barney Bucks, Bastion's widowed workaholic father. He was most famously on Major Dad, if you're of our generation. It was a sitcom uh, in the early 90s. I think it was like 93 to maybe 96 or 95. He was a retired military veteran, and he ran his household like the military. And everybody called him Major. Nobody called him Dad. So nice. I remember watching that show with the family. It was a pretty good one. He's been in tons and tons of other stuff dating back to the early 70s. So. Sure. But this is the one. That's the one that I think, uh, if you're of a certain age, would remember it. Um, Alan Oppenheimer, he voiced Falcor, the Gamork, Rockbiter, and the Narrator. Uh, the latter three were uncredited. Um, he auditioned after all the shooting for the film had been completed. Um, he basically was shown an image of Falcor at his audition, and then he did his audition. <laughs> <laughs> um, afterwards, uh, Oppenheimer, uh, after Oppenheimer's audition, I'll say that again, I guess, uh, <laughs> Wolfgang Peterson said, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> so they went to Munich where the studios were and uh, the movie was played and Oppenheimer put his voice to it. And then after it was completed, Oppenheimer asked for a playback. So he wanted to watch his parts in the movie and see how it all sounded. Um, he didn't think he got it quite right. Uh, so he said he wanted to do it again. Wolfgang apparently liked the original cut, but was like, sure, let's try it again tomorrow. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ultimately, the second take was used, was the one that was used in the movie. So when they were done with his uh, Falcor, Falcor lines, uh, Wolfgang asked Oppenheimer to just do the rock biter quick. Just do the lines. And so we did it. Nice. And then when that was all done, uh, Wolfgang said, wait a minute, there's one more. You want to do the character of Gamork? And Oppenheimer was like, uh, sure, why not? And then finally, before the day was done, Wolfgang was like, how about the narrator? You want to do the narrator? Come on, let's do the narrator. And he did it. And then Oppenheimer apparently is quoted as saying, I guess that day he got four for one. So, Jeez. Yeah. The article made it sound like there was uh, no extra pay involved for doing the extra characters, which seems... Seems kind of weird Seems to me. Seems kind of weird. Uh, he, he sounded so familiar as Rockbiter that I had to check if he was the same voice as Treebeard from Lord of the Rings. Oh, and he is not. He is not. But I, I was like, man, that sounds like Treebeard. Yeah, that is actually a pretty, uh, that's a pretty close, uh, it's a voice doppelganger for you almost, right? Yeah. Uh, Deep Roy is another uh, actor in this movie. He was Teeny Weeny, the guy that had the uh, uh, racing snail. Um, and you may have recognized him. He's been in a whole bunch of movies. He was in Return of the Jedi. He was in Ewok, and he was also a stand-in double for R2-D2. Hmm. He was in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. He was in Hook. He was in Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then one out of the 2000s, he was all of the Oompa Loompas in Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Jeez. <laughs> so he's been around forever. Another actor that's been doing movies since the, I think I think I saw his was late 60s. So he's been working forever. Yeah. And then uh, Tilo Prunker. Prunker, Prunkner, Prunkner, Prunkner. I don't know German. Uh, <laughs> as the the night hob, um, and he was the messenger riding the narcoleptic hang gliding bat. So. Yeah. Um, this movie was distributed by Warner Brothers. It was released April 6, 1984 in West Germany, and then July 20th, 1984 in the good old United States of America. 
Um, one just a little note that I wanted to put in here, and I couldn't find a good place to put it anywhere, so I'm putting it right here. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, this film was the most expensive movie ever to be filmed in Germany. Holy cow. Yeah, well, how about that? If I remember right, it was like... To 57, if I remember what it was last podcast when we talked about it, like 67 million Deutschmarks or something like something that. It was like, like that. $25 million in the United States. Go back to the last podcast and listen to the last <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> or the whole thing. Or the whole thing. That'd be preferable. I like your idea a lot better, Trav. I like your idea a lot better. <laughs> um, I'm ready for the breakdown if you are. Let's break it down. All right. I can't wait. The never-ending story. <laughs> uh, so in this opening sequence especially in the opening credits i just love the like sweet fantasy world clouds that are in it right? oh yeah uh i think they achieve that effect by blowing smoke across like underneath a plane of glass oh okay and then the camera's looking up from underneath it and then they put the lighting on the other side of the glass so it makes it look like rolling clouds i think that's how they do it that's i didn't look at it look it up i'm pretty sure that's how they do pretty it sure. <laughs> pretty, sure. pretty sure so take it from me i might know something or not <laughs> <laughs> immediately bastion's waking up and it's breakfast time uh bastion can't open the jelly he's a weakling he can't open the jelly and we cannot blow past the amazing song in the beginning oh no movie. we can't no that we opening can't. credits is just oh my god <laughs> it's bumping in my house with the sound bar i just blast it and then i talked to you about it and you said that song was created for the movie it was so there was a just a the the score that you hear out throughout throughout the whole movie is the only music that is in the german version oh, okay so then this song and i think maybe one other song i don't remember exactly were made for the American release. Sure. So that song is not in the German release. It is in the American release. Man, and they're missing out. They are missing out. I got to imagine that the American release is now like the adopted international version. Yeah. I would have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, maybe in Germany you can only find this single West German version from 1984, <laughs> yeah. but... I don't know. <laughs> it's like worth more money or something. Hey, maybe. I bet you I should have looked for that. I did look for the soundtrack on eBay to like have it here for the podcast yeah. today. But even the cassettes were like $34. I originally, I originally wanted to get it on vinyl, but they were like 100 bucks, $150. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Not buying that. Not buying that. But uh, back to Bastion being a weakling. Total nerd, right? Total nerd. <laughs> Total nerd. As a matter of fact, he spent the night dreaming about his dead mom like that is rough that's rough that's definitely you feel for the kid right away yeah you definitely do and you know who doesn't feel for him his, his dad his wonder bread buying dad his wonder bread buying dad we have to get on with it we have to get on with things bastion yeah. like jeepers like, creepers like it's okay but enough is enough we have responsibilities <laughs> we can't let mom's death be an excuse for not getting the old job done right, right. <laughs> jesus get dude like his mom his mom just died i mean it seems like it's fairly fresh like she has not been dead for very long at this right point. um so his dad is talking to him about the fact that Bastion's having a hard time at school now. They're having a little breakfast heart to heart. Um, unicorns in the in the math book, which yeah. I can appreciate. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite, maybe a little bit of nod to Never Ending Story, having uh, the unicorn. Uh. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, his dad's very disappointed that uh, he skipped the swim team tryout. 
Yep. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Yes. Don't skip, don't skip this. I expected better from you, Bastion. <laughs> now, what about those writing lessons? <laughs> You're not going to get those writing lessons if you, know, get your gra- if you don't get your grades up there, Bastion. As a matter of fact, you seem to be afraid of horses. <laughs> Why do you want? And then he's basically telling Bastion, like, get your head out of the clouds. Get your feet on the ground. Yeah. And then Bastion just like... Okay. Right. <laughs> Bastion's dad gives him a firm handshake and walks out the door. I mean, that's a, what it equated to, basically. basically. Tossled his hair and said, don't be late to school. <laughs> I wasn't late yesterday. <laughs> they uh, almost feel like roommates, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a weird interaction that they have. Um, and it also seems like his dad basically can't wait to get the hell out of there and go to work. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So uh, Bastion is on his way to school now, and as it turns out, uh, Bastion lives in Vancouver, British Columbia, so that's where all that stuff was filmed. So nice. I'm assuming the, that it is Vancouver, so I'm going to go with it. Yep. <laughs> uh, quickly, we find some bullies. Bullies. Hey, look, it's the weirdo. Hey, look, it's the weirdo. Give us your money. <laughs> so naturally, Bastion runs away. What else would you do in that Obviously. situation? Uh, the bullies do catch up to that mama's boy. He's got no money. <laughs> so they dump him in the dumpster, right? And what are you going to do? What dump him in the do? dumpster. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Maybe the chicken can lay an egg in there, huh? Maybe and, he can. And they allude to the fact that that's been done before. So why doesn't Bastion take a different running route? Why he, does he always run by the dumpster? That's a really good question. And did you notice, though, also when he was running down the street into the alleyway, there were multiple adults that were like watching it all go down and we're just like <laughs> what the heck's going on there oh, oh, whatever man, i wish on. i had something to record this <laughs> oh my goodness uh so bastion gets out and ultimately gets busted again by the bullies so yep. he's got to run again okay. why do you think the movie was like let's make him run away twice why not just run into the bookstore immediately yeah. just run into that bookstore yeah, I don't know. To I guess to really show these kids are big time bullies. I, like, that would that's probably it, right? That's probably it. Like maybe this is your answer as to why he's always late for school. It's the same thing every day. I don't know, but he's afraid to tell his dad they're stealing his money or I don't know. You're probably right. I didn't draw that conclusion, but you're probably right. That's why he's late to school. He's getting bullied every morning. Yeah. He's embarrassed about it, doesn't want to talk to his dad because his dad's probably going to say, well, you got to defend yourself. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your mom's not coming back. So <laughs> I didn't even bring her up. <laughs> Just get over your mom, all right? <laughs> So, I mean, that's at least why he's late today. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's probably why he's been late most often than not. I mean, maybe he's been dilly-dallying a little bit, but having to deal with bullies most likely on the way to school every day. Yeah, that's probably why he's late. Uh, But this time he ducks into the bookstore and immediately, get out of here, I don't like kids. I don't like kids. (laughs) The video arcade is down the street. (laughs) (laughs) Here we sell, we just sell small rectangular objects called books. (laughs) I know books. I have 187. Ah, comic books. (laughs) And then Bastion asks, what's that book about? You know, our titular book of the movie. Oh, that's something special. Your books are safe. What you need is safe. (laughs) And that one isn't? (laughs) No, it isn't, kid. That's what I'm trying to get to here. (laughs) Don't worry about it. This book is not for you. Convenient movie phone ringing so that he can be distracted, right? Right. Uh, Bastion grabs the book, runs out of there, and the dude looks back and he's like, yep, that's what I wanted him to do. Exactly (laughs) what I wanted him to do. And he also had time for a little note. A little note. Don't worry, I'll bring it back. 
God, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, Bastion is late for school again. He peeks in that uh, door, which everybody would have noticed the head peeking in that window, yeah. but that's okay. Um, he's going to skip that math test, even though it's like the last thing he should probably do. Why yeah. not bust in there? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'm here, I'm here. Please don't tell my dad. <laughs> Please don't tell my dad. <laughs> so instead he escapes to the school's attic. Um, <laughs> yeah, which he's clearly done before and not been caught. All yeah. righty. You do have to lo- love a good 1980s, 1990s movie attic, right? Yeah. You got to love that stuff. In the school. In the school. <laughs> even better. It didn't even look like... So I have a hard time with the way the attic is portrayed and like the level that he went. He only went up one set of stairs. Yeah. Because later when he comes back out and checks things out when the school day's over, it's like a half a flight of stairs to yep. where that. Do- yeah, there's probably more stairs in there, but still, the in my mind, making it jive with the exterior of the school just doesn't seem to really make sense to me. No, it doesn't. Anyways, I love a good movies attic. A good movie <laughs> addict. Attic. Addict. There's addict. a difference. Hey. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> but in this attic, our adventure begins. Um, we get to meet the Rockbiter and his friends. Um, I thought this was a really good way to visit Fantasia, Fantasia for the first time. Yeah. It was a really good introduction. Um, what did you think about the VFX on your first, like impression of this movie i actually liked it like i don't think it was i'm glad there's no cgi or anything and it's i don't know i think it's done really well like i didn't think of it as crappy or cheesy or wow that looks super fake i think it all worked perfectly for how it should be i totally agree with you like you can tell that it's effects of a different era of movie, yeah. but it still totally holds up. Yeah. It's still totally believable. None of it is ever like, man, I just can't get over how crappy this looks. Yeah. You know? They don't try to do too much. No, they know? really don't, and they do a lot, especially in that first scene, the way they meld the two frames of film together, because obviously the Rockbiter was shot at a different scale. The two yeah. frames of film were put together. It looks really good, and at first glance, it does not look out of place. Right. Like He feels that big. It's really he feels majestic and gigantic and like the other characters are going to just be run over. Like yeah. you, you feel that you really do feel that um, it is. They're just really great effects right off the right off the bat when we really hit Fantasia for the first time. So to talk about the rock rock biter a little bit. So a human puppeteer controlled that from within the suit. Okay. And it was a dude called Colin the Stuntman. That's who was in it. That's, that's what it's credited as. Colin the Stuntman. <laughs> he would spend like two hours at a time in there in the giant suit, and then he would get so hot in there that they had to like f- give him water through various holes in the suit so he could stay in there long enough. Jeez. Um, the sense of size and weight created by the the camera effects is just really, really good, and yeah. it's really done very well with that suit. It was really various cables and pulleys and levers inside of that suit that made it all really work and articulate. Um, so I really appreciate that there's a dude in there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have known that. Way That's to go, awesome. man. That's how big that suit actually was. Like, it was, you know, it wasn't a puppet or like a smaller size model. It was a dude in an oversized suit. Yeah. That probably really helped out with the feeling of scale. And its movements looked more natural than like a marionette puppet or something Agreed, would look. Yeah. 
So I like that a lot. But Way to go, Colin the Stuntman. Shout out, Colin the Stuntman. I know you're a listener. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Email us. Email us. Um, so the rock biter opens up because he really, really loves his rocks. Um, it's a delicious looking limestone rock. Must mm. be a real vintage year. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that whole bit is played for some really great comedy. The rocks flying everywhere. everywhere. It's just, it's just uh, really how much comedy. is he actually eating? So much <laughs> of it is falling. It's like Cookie Monster or puppet eating. It's yeah. just jamming it in there until it falls out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we find out from the rock biter that uh, wherever he came from, the north, we don't know exactly where in the north he came from, there were exquisite rocks, you know? Yeah. But they're all gone now. Oh, man. And they're gone. What a pig. <laughs> no, he's not a pig. It was the nothing. The nothing. <laughs> but then it was all gone. <laughs> he is. He can be a real downer. He can movie. be. <laughs> Nothing was there anymore. A hole? No, a hole would be something. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's kind of weird that Teeny Weeny and Night Hob were so, like, um, not critical. They were so skeptical of what he was talking about. And then they, the next line, they go and confirm it. They're like, yeah, the same thing's happening in the South yeah, and the West. Exactly. <laughs> Damn, this rock guy is crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, the same thing's happening here, but you're, where are you coming from? <laughs> the North? <laughs> There's no way it could be happening there. It's already everywhere. The whole land is in danger. That's too bad for you, Night Hob. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all on their way to see the Empress, so they have like a combined goal now. So it's like a real quest, guys. Right. Yeah, it's a real quest. Cue another awesome song. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If the Empress can't save us, who can? Dun, well, dun, dun. Yeah, we're going to find out in a second. Uh, the racing snail, the dude with the narcoleptic bat, and the rock biter <laughs> depart for the ivory tower. But, oh no, the nothing. The nothing. The nothing. <laughs> it's right there, so you guys better get moving. Yeah. <laughs> like it's Probably, uh, get going. Literally right there. <laughs> get going. <laughs> you, yeah, literally right there. You move on. <laughs> Uh, so we rejoin our companions, our new our new group of companions, well on their way to uh, the heart of Fantasia. Uh, I never knew it was that beautiful. Like the rock biters taken aback by it. Right. And honestly, when that music hits, when you see the ivory tower for the first time, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> like it's unbelievable. Like just thinking about it just gives me the goosebumps. Yeah. It hits so hard. It's just like. Dang, man. Yeah, this music, the whole movie is so good, honestly. It helps that it really does look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> the fuzzy light, like the fuzzy bright light that like it's just so mysterious. Oh, it's yeah. so like wonderful and warming. Like everything about it just looks so unbelievably cool. Yeah. Just like so cool. Goku going ultra instinct. Up yeah, man. Guys, man. It definitely does. It definitely does. Like that look. That's like what I base all of my like fantasy movie want things on. It's like the look of this movie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> love it. Absolutely. So now we're at the home of the Empress and uh, she's our only hope. And that's what the Night Hob says. And I think, thanks, Obi-Wan. Like, <laughs> just rip that directly from Star Wars, right? <laughs> 
Um, inside there, at, we're at the, the princess's home, basically, at the princess, at the empress's home. Um, it's a who's who of fanti- Fantasianites. Fantasianites? Fan- I like that. Fantasians. Fantasians? Fantasianites. I'm going to go with Fantasianites. Uh, you got the uh, big rockhead dudes. They're, yeah. they're pretty sweet, right? They're pretty cool. Uh, four-faced lady. <laughs> she got four faces. <laughs> you got double-faced dude. Double-faced double dude. <laughs> yep. Elephant guy. Elephant guy. Uh-huh. And then the old blue bird dude. <laughs> like, it's a who's who. They're it's all there. who's who. They're all there. <laughs> they're all, they're all there. there. Where's the Empress? We don't know. <laughs> well, they're all there to seek help from the Empress. Uh, she is deathly ill and can't help them. <laughs> So, so nuts to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, we find out that there's a link between her health and the nothing. Uh, but there is a hero. So this character's name is Chiron. What did you think of Chiron? Like the guy that's talking to Atreyu in this scene and stuff. He's a right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a right. He's a right. He seems just like a mouthpiece. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but there is a hero. Atreyu. Atreyu. And then Bastion. Atreyu? 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 <laughs> Not Atreyu the child, Atreyu the warrior. <laughs> I can assure you I'm the only Atreyu. If you don't want me here, you shouldn't have sent for me. <laughs> Do you like how Atreyu's like half British accent thing comes in and out comes and in, in and, out. and out? And I like it. Like when he's in the Swamp of Sadness, it's just like straight British Atreyu. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie, not very British Atreyu. Not very, not very British Atreyu. <laughs> I'm the only Atreyu from the Plains people. I'll be happy to go back and hunt the purple buffalo. <laughs> um, so originally Atreyu was supposed to have green skin. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what it is in the book. Oh, all right. And they literally, in the book, they hunt uh, purple buffalo, and their tribe's name means, like, the greenskins. Oh. So, uh, he should have had green skin, probably. I, I suppose. Probably. They never say the name of the tribe, so I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. Namekians. Yeah, the Namekians. <laughs> that would have been funny if it was the Namekian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Atreyu now leaving, uh, Chiron stops Atreyu. No, wait, don't go! Don't go! Don't go! Will you take on this quest? <laughs> Ignore <laughs> all the things I just said. I we just, need you. Just totally ripped you, but I, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. <laughs> to find a cure for our empress to save our world, you have no weapons. You must go alone. <laughs> Do I have a chance? I don't know, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't succeed, we're all going to die. So you better get a move on. So what does he do? He sheds his weapons. He sheds his weapons. Man. When do I begin? When do I begin? <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, man. Before video games, you just had to go for it. Your real life was on the line. Your real life was on the line. You just got to go for it. Take this. It's the Auron. Aurin? Aurin. Aurin? So they sp- I always thought it was like Orin with an O, yeah. but it's spelt A-U-Y-R-N. So it's like Aurin. 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 <laughs> it's just like the cover of the book. Oh my God, you guys. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. He who wears the Aurin speaks for the Empress. It will guide and protect you. That's, that's good. Nice. <laughs> Gonna need that. So guess who has that original Aurin te- uh, set piece? Hmm. Guess. I want you to guess. Take a guess. It's somebody very famous. Like very famous v- in the movie world. <laughs> it's not the same guy that owns the Batmobile. 
No. That would be crazy. No, no, not <laughs> Jeff Dunham, the ventriloquist. <laughs> hmm, someone super famous. Super famous in movies. Super famous in Not movies. in front of the screen, behind the screen, or behind the camera. Oh, uh, Steven Spielberg. You got it. Sorry, I was drinking my coffee. Ding, 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 oh. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I was like, how wrong was I? <laughs> no, I was trying to say ding, 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 but I had coffee in my mouth. Nice. You are correct. That's cool. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg and Wolfgang Peterson, the director of The NeverEnding Story, knew each other before this movie was made, before oh, cool. NeverEnding Story was made. Spielberg was a really big fan of Wolfgang's previous film called Das Boot, which das is Boot. a very well-respected, very like classic uh, military movie about the German U-boats. Oh, okay. Um, I've never seen it. Um, mm. After doing, doing some research, I think I will probably take some time and see it. It's well-respected. Everybody loves it. So. Nice. Um, Peterson approached Spielberg about seeing the never-ending story so Spielberg could give him an idea on what an American audience would want out of this movie. Nice. Spielberg gave Peterson some suggestions and ultimately seven minutes was cut from the movie, mostly for pacing and language. I guess there was a bunch of swears in the movie. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Peterson gave Spielberg the Oren. Oren? Oren? <laughs> As a gift for the help. So that's neat, right? Steven Spielberg's got it, and apparently it sits on his desk, like, at his production studio. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm surprised that Amblin, his production, didn't have anything to do... Did it have something to do with it? I don't think so. I don't remember it having something... I'm surprised it didn't, honestly. Yeah. you think it would have for how much he's kind of tied to it. Right. I don't know. I guess whatever. <laughs> so Atreyu and Artax, Artax are off in a hurry. And that uh, like traveling theme that comes up a couple of times in the movie is just so epic. So epic. I love it so much. It's just as uh, powerful to me as the opening song. Yeah. Or the, the same music when there's the reveal of the ivory tower. Like it's just awesome. It's I just so absolutely, good. absolutely love it. Um, interesting side note. Hathaway, the actor that played Atreyu, uh, broke his back during pre-production after he fell off a horse and was landed on it by the horse. Jeez. It landed on by the horse. The article said crushed by the horse, but... He's alive. He's alive. Yeah, I don't think he was, cr- but whatever. So they would like the whole production was in jeopardy. They didn't think the movie was going to be able to shot be shot in time, but luckily he's a quick healer. He's I guess a quick healer. <laughs> this boy went through eleven auditions and a broken back, so we're gonna make it work. And so ultimately, it was started on time. So Noah Hathaway broke his back for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. It's a big stream if you ask me. Um, so Artax and Atreyu are off on their adventure, and we get all the happy trails waving from all the characters that we've met already, which is really fun, which is kind of a motif a little bit through the movie because it yeah. kind of happens one more time for sure, maybe yeah. another time. For sure one more. For sure one more time. It would make sense if it was only the one more time at the beginning and the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just the, some great, beautiful uh, fantasy landscapes. Uh, the matte paintings, you know, all that stuff that was hand-drawn and put into the scene while they're actually riding across, you know, not a blue screen, but, you know, not what's pictured in the movie. Right. Is, I love it. It's yeah. it's so cool. It looks so, so realistic. I did watch it on a DVD copy, not a Blu-ray copy, so maybe some of that stuff gets a little bit lost in translation when it's a full... I watched it on Blu-ray, and I, I think it looks just that's, fine. That's yeah. great. It, it looks really, really good to me. There was nothing in the movie that looked fake enough to take away from anything so. nothing where you're just like huh 
Yeah. No, I think it all works. <laughs> That's, we'll talk about that some more, I'm sure, at another point. <laughs> uh, we get some more narration from Bastion, and we get to meet the Gamoric, a uh, creature of darkness, also beginning its quest. So, yes. Good for him. Uh, time for some lunch with Atreyu and Artax and Bastion. And Bastion. Does that sound like a good idea? No. No. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> so I'm going to go uh, grab my sandwich yep. and take one bite and then say, not too much. It's a long journey. It's a long journey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, yeah. I just, so the, one bite. The one actor in this movie is, I got a hard time sometimes with Bastion. <laughs> that's that's the one actor in this movie with his acting. It's sometimes a little bit difficult the yeah. way he acts, but that's okay. That's all right. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. <clears throat> uh, back on the march with Atreyu and Artax. They've been searching everywhere for weeks. Uh, the Gamoric is fast on Atreyu's trail. Atreyu's trail. <laughs> Atreyu's trail. <laughs> Finally, we make it to the Swamp of Sadness, and I'm glad that we're going to get to move past this part of the movie early on. Yes. Um, it's a little weird that it is so early. It is. What did I write down? I wrote down, I got it here, it's 32 minutes in. Like, dang. Dang. Just slap you with that right away. Grab your tissues. <laughs> So to dispel any urban legends out there, the horse did not actually die in the making of this movie. So apparently that's out there that the horse actually died. That's crazy. There were two identical horses that uh, played Artax and they were trained for long, long hours and stuff by 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 professional horse handlers. Um, Having them sink in that mud was basically like considered an impossible task by everybody, but they got them to do it. Uh, The look on that horse's face looks pretty stressed out. Looks pretty (laughs) terrified. Like pretty terrified. He wasn't acting. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, they were trained to sink slowly into that mud. It was like a platform that was lowered within this, you know, this mud. Uh, So the mud, you never do see it. And Peterson is first to point out whenever this gets brought up to him, the horse's head never goes underneath the mud. The horse's head never goes underneath the mud. (laughs) So he uh, may have a little bit of guilt for putting those horses. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Also, the Swamp of Sadness is actually just a circus tent filled with four feet of swamp or four feet of mud. Wow. Yeah, that's all it is. Um, Throw in some fog machines and you got a Swamp of Sadness. (laughs) They spent two months of filming in that swamp. Holy cow. Two months of filming. And the scenes with Mora, Morla, which we will be getting to soon, took up most of that two months. Sure. Yeah. So that's a lot of time in that swamp. Yeah. <laughs> Four feet of mud. The cast routinely I saw, uh, it was arduous, arduous and it was depressing and it was really difficult to have to go work in there day after day yeah. after day, especially for Noah Hathaway. Yeah. Just uh, covered. Just covered in mud, having to get some of those scenes with Morla, like when he's getting slid off the uh, shell mountain and he hits that mud, yeah. his head just like snaps back. Yeah. And I'm like, yikes, dude. Like, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> back to the swamp. Back to the swamp. <laughs> uh, they've already made it through the Silver Mountains, through the Desert of Shattered Hopes and the Crystal Towers. No success at finding anything that's going to help the, the Empress. So that only leaves the Swamp of Sadness and Morla the Ancient One. Uh, this brings us to one of the saddest things ever shown on the big screen, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't let the sadness overtake you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stupid horse. Dumb horse. Stupid horse. Yeah, so we'll just kind of gloss over it, but the horsey dies. Horsey and, dies. And, uh, how does Atreyu not immediately succumb to his sadness and also sink directly to the bottom of the swamp? <laughs> yeah, no one knows. He's that much of a hero, right? He's got that much sense of self and will, I guess. There we go, there we go. 
Uh, the music in this scene, though, is also really awesome. Um, it's like super Top Gun esque to me. It reminded yeah. me of Goose, Goose's death scene. Yeah, that's what it reminded me Definitely. of. Definitely, uh, I loved it. Even though it's super sad, I was like, oh, at least the the music's really awesome. <laughs> 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 I I just I love all the synth and how much of the, if not all of it. I think there are some strings and stuff in some of the score, but just how much of it relies on synth. I just love the whole sound of the whole movie. It's just just amazing to me. I just absolutely love it. So after trudging on. After losing his horse, Atreyu finally spots Shell Mountain, and uh, Bastion whispers, Morla, the ancient one. Uh. <laughs> Morla is the mountain. Just, yeah, Morla is the mountain. Right. <laughs> um, as, a Mor- as Morla emerges with Atreyu atop uh, a tree, uh, Bastion lets out a scream. And apparently Morla and Atreyu hear this, right? Then they both kind of look around like... What the? No, but they never say anything to each other. Like, did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> so, how do you think that was written in the book? Like, like the book he's reading. I've yeah. kind of thought about that. Like, so he's reading about the conversation with Atreyu and Morla, and then in the middle of a sentence, there's just a a line of a blood curdling scream. Yeah. And then the characters in the book looking around, and then there'd be a line of Bastion saying. Did they hear me or they couldn't have heard me? Like, it just seems like if the book was written like that, it would just be weird. Yeah, definitely. It it would just be weird. I don't know. But (laughs) he says that's impossible. That's what he says when in the book it says that they heard him scream. Right. That's impossible. It's almost like the the book's being written in second person almost, which is like impossible to do. (laughs) So it would just be blank pages. Um, Frankly, though, Morla could give two Fs about any of this (laughs) stuff, right? Definitely. (laughs) We don't. Don't even care. We don't even care. <laughs> uh, the Auron makes her think twice, though, a little bit, right? Yeah. I haven't seen that in thousands of years yeah. or whatever it is. Um, Atreyu does plead his case. If you don't help, the Empress will die. <laughs> we don't even care whether or not we care. <laughs> like, Jesus. All right, we get it, man. <laughs> and then Atreyu says, well, you're going to die too, right? And then uh, Morla says, die? That at least would be something. Like, whoa. <laughs> like, jeepers. Some real depressed people in Fantasia. Real depressed people. <laughs> Go away. Nothing matters. <laughs> I do enjoy the sneezing bit. It's some good comedy inside, like a really depressing scene, right? Yeah. It looked painful for Noah Hathaway as an actor. Yes. Um, I thought it was funny that it turned out that Morla was allergic to humans or yeah. to whatever Atreyu is because they refer to. The human boy or whatever, right? right the human right. child. But, uh, and then, you know, after sneezing a bit, uh, Atreyu finds out that Morla, like, is saying that she knows what the, what's going on and how to help the Empress. But then he presses her on it and she's like, well, actually, I don't know, but you can go check out the Southern Oracle. They probably know, <laughs> they right? They should know something. <laughs> they should know. One, only one thing. It's 10,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> That's so far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, quickly back to Bastion. He hears the school bell. He's not going anywhere. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> he doesn't want to face his father, I think, is maybe the number one thing, right? Definitely. Or reality, in a sense, because of his mother dying. Yeah. So throw in a little thunderstorm to add a little ambiance, and you get to be sent away on the rest of our journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what again seems like a house attic, not a school attic. Yes. Atreyu wouldn't quit now, right, Bastion? Yeah, <laughs> he would not quit now. 
uh, back in the swamp, and the Gmork is on his way to kill Atreyu, and uh, Atreyu is really struggling at this point. Uh, could this be the end of our story? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <it's not>. definitely <laughs> not. It's not, definitely not. Saved by Felcor, the Luck Dragon. This is one instance where uh, the rigid Felcor arm swooping through the frame looked a little goofy to me. Sure, but sure. that's all right. Suspension of disbelief at this point. It was yeah. totally good enough for me. There was I, it wasn't like so. It was the only reason I even noticed it was because I've watched this movie a few times now since yeah. this podcast. And you know, you start really picking apart the movie on those last watches. Uh, obviously, so that's the only reason I even noticed it. <clears throat> Saved by Felcor. He's a luck dragon. He's so. a luck dragon. He's a luck dragon. <laughs> He's a luck dragon who looks like a dog dragon. Yes, he does. Uh, just. In the nick of time, from the jaws of the Gamork. Just in the nick of time. <laughs> so, after days of unconsciousness, Atreyu finally comes to into the arms of Felcor. That'd be a bit disturbing. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So, just a little bit here on Felcor, according to Peterson. So, this is all taken from an uh, interview with Peterson. Um, he's basically like, so it was the eighties. <laughs> There's no, there were no computers that were capable enough of even doing anything that would look good on the screen at the time. So instead they created all the creatures by hand, built them, animated them mechanically. Like this is just qu- quite the undertaking, especially with the size of Felcor. It's pretty intense. Yeah. He was just so huge. He had to be built completely. Like they couldn't do it in sections. They're like, we got to build the whole dang thing. <laughs> build the whole dang thing. There's actually two Falcors uh, that were built for the movie, and one of them has a head that weighs 200 pounds. All right. So that's an interesting fact. Thanks, Internet. Thanks, Internet. <laughs> it took about 15 people to animate Falcor, which is pretty intense. 15 yeah. separate people. So it'd be like one for one eyebrow, another one for another eyebrow, <laughs> yeah. one for an eye, and then just so on and so forth for all his articulations that he would do. It was unusually difficult to coordinate. <laughs> I would assume. <laughs> And when the scenes were filmed, they would run a tape with a pre-recorded what uh, Felcor was going to say, not what Oppenheimer said, because he did it all after the movie was completed. Sure. And they would try to match the mouth movements with the recording, which to some varying success. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But Peterson did say... He thinks it's the way it looks is part of what gives the movie its special charm. Agreed. And I do agree. If you pick it apart, does it look a little goofy? Sure. Right. But it's the charm of the movie. The way it looks is consistent from beginning to end. Exactly. So you take it for what it is. You take it for what it is. Um, If you're ever in uh, Bavaria, Germany, you can go ride Falkor. (laughs) <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it's it's located in Bavaria's film studios, so like that's the film hub for German s- cinema. Sure. Uh, apparently, an astonishing amount of people go to visit the Luck Dragon every year. <laughs> uh, s- sets from the film, you can see too. So that's pretty cool. Honey. You're ever in Bavaria. Yeah. Hey, I know we've had people listening in Germany. Hey, there we go. Go report to us. Go report to us. Send pictures. I want to know what the experience is like. Yeah. So go do that for me. <laughs> I demand it. That's a call to action. That is a call to action. <laughs> Back to a tree. Back to a tree. <laughs> He's trying to sneak away. Uh, that's a reasonable uh, reaction to the situation yeah. he's in. Uh, Felcor does convince him to stay. I love children. <laughs> For breakfast? For breakfast? <laughs> never. <laughs> maybe, Second breakfast? Maybe once in a while. <laughs> but never. <laughs> Not today. Not today. <laughs> Uh, but luckily, luckily for Atreyu, Falcor has already brought him most of the way to the Southern Oracle, um, 9,891 miles as the dragon flies. <laughs> 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 Having a luck dragon on your side is the only way to go on a quest. Apparently. 
It's good to have a friend. You have more than one. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to meet Ergolin Eg- Okay. Engawuk. 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 Ergolin Engawuk, healer and scientist, respectively. Fun scenes in this movie. Yeah. Really a lot of heart. Really cool. Really, like, kitschy. And it's just cool to watch. I love their two characters and how they're just like a... Like, are they married? I they, mean... They gotta be. They gotta be married. Yeah. They have a very functional dysfunctional relationship yeah. like that's how their relationship you works winch. you wench to the winch wench <laughs> it's one of the best lines of the whole movie yeah uh their whole lives revolve around the southern oracle well at least to the, the southern oracle to an extent but this first gate for sure i think yeah. that's like because he even says later on that he's never been to the southern oracle so yeah. it basically revolves around the gate so lucky for atreyu he's landed with felcor in the exact right spot he needs for his journey perfect <laughs> Uh, like I said, uh, Engawuk, he is an expert on the Southern Oracle. Oracle, it's his scientific speciality. <laughs> I enjoy that interaction where Atreyu is like in the doorway of their little cave thing. And um, Urgle is basically just ripping her husband apart and like yeah. mocking him, saying what he's going to say before he says it. And yeah. I, I really enjoy that. It's really funny. And uh, the fact that uh, Atreyu stuck with that potion that she gave him after she's like describing what's in it as My he's drinking God. it. I guess it helped, maybe. It helped. I mean, it must have, <laughs> but holy cow. Uh, we get to move up to that observatory now, which looks really fantasiful and fantasiful. 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 There's a word in there. There is a word there. somewhere in there. Fantas. Nope. Fantasmable. <laughs> Fantasiful. That, that might be the word. I'm not going to. It's not the word. <laughs> I love the look of that observatory. And it's like pseudo telescope thing that I don't understand how it works. At but all. I still love but it. But it's still super it's cool. It's crystal based. It's crystal based. <laughs> to the winch wench. To the winch wench. <laughs> and the death of a knight of some kind or another. The Sphinx's eyes stay closed until one that doesn't feel his own self-worth tries to pass by. Uh, yeah, that fancy armor won't protect (laughs) you, knight. It did not. So after watching that dude die, what does Atreyu say? My turn. (laughs) I'm going to try it. (laughs) Impulsive much? Yeah. (laughs) For real. I know you got a job to do, but maybe like take a second here. Take a second, man. You've been unconscious for like maybe the better part of two weeks. (laughs) It's been like 10 minutes. Yeah. He might have some brain damage. I mean, he, he's not <laughs> going to go with he probably has some brain damage. Engiwook does try to stop a, ra- oh, uh, a Treyu. Man, Engiwook tries to stop a Treyu. Uh. These words, man, these words. <laughs> I got to learn how to speak, I guess. <laughs> he hasn't told him about the second gate yet. It's even worse than the first. Is it worse than the first? Mm, not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Atreyu cannot be swayed. He is off, and he closes that gap up to that uh, gate like in a hurry. In a hurry. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that was some of the seven minutes that was cut out of the movie. Maybe there was like three minutes of him walking, or that. just walking, or sauntering, <laughs> sauntering to the gate through the sand, debating whether or not he's going to make it through. Yeah, he. Yeah, they cut out. That is the whole seven minutes that got cut out, right? Yeah. Just that section. Just that section. He's got like a seven-minute like internal monologue that we never get to hear with <laughs> yeah. all this insight and everything i hope that's what it is <laughs> that would be great it would be uh so this scene though does bring us to the fact that the uh, author michael ended hated this movie 
<laughs> absolutely hated this movie and specifically hated this scene like the most of all. So ultimately he didn't get the author and he didn't end didn't get that to make a two hour movie out of a like a super rich and full book, stuff's not gonna make the cut. Yeah. And you can't put it all in the movie. And he just didn't get it. So originally he was supposed to write the screenplay with Wolfgang Wolfgang Peterson, but Peterson was like, You don't get it. You're fired. I'm gonna write <laughs> it with somebody else. Jeez. So they he, he, so they wrote it without him, and Andy didn't like it. And let me see here. Um, Wolfgang Peterson was quoted as saying, he was not a friend of ours. <laughs> uh, sadly, though, Andy died in 1995, so he's long gone, RIP. Uh, but this scene specifically, he hated the most. This was like the scene that he hated the most. He is quoted as saying, the Sphinxes are quite one of the biggest embarrassments of the film. They're full bosom strippers who sit there in the desert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did find it a little weird that there was boobies. Agreed. It was very weird. It's very weird, and I've always thought that it's weird that there's boobies in this movie, and it's a PG movie. Yeah. I know it's like a sculpture, but it's still super weird. Yeah. It's super weird. I I don't think it would be in a PG movie nowadays. No way. No way in heck. Yeah, those little uh, whatever things would have gone much farther down and covered them nipples. (laughs) Covered them nips. (laughs) Uh, So Atreyu makes it through the gate, but... He didn't have the self-worth to make it through the gate. He's just super athletic. (laughs) (laughs) He's just way athletic. Because, I mean, they fired on him. So that means he didn't have the self-worth to make it through the gate. Yeah. Which is... He's got a little Rico in him. (laughs) Got a little Rico. (laughs) It's a cool scene nonetheless, though. I do like the scene, even though it's a little weird. You just don't expect to see that type of thing in a a kid's film, for sure. And that burnt-up skeleton, that's a bit much, too, for a kid's film. That was very realistic and gory. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was very realistic and gory. So, after passing that gate, we quickly get up to the next gate. I'm assuming this is another instance where some of the movie was cut. Probably an easy cut in between these two scenes. I would have liked to have seen maybe... A minute of his adventure to the next gate just to see what he experienced because according to what we see, he's trudging through a blizzard wearing a t-shirt and some leather pants. Yeah. yeah. That's just, I I get it. It's a fantasy movie. Maybe that just is he climbed a mountain. Sure. That makes sense. Climbed a mountain. It just got cold. But just a minute of what his adventure was in between. A quick montage. (laughs) A quick montage. Is, and is this before or after he's looking in the mirror in the white room or whatever? So this is that gate. This okay, is where yeah, he's yeah. looking in the mirror yeah. at that gate. Um, he will have to face his true self, confronted with their true selves. Most rent men run away screaming. <laughs> so his true self is Bastion? Uh, I guess. That's uh, what you would... Because he's the reader right. or whatever. That's, I would guess, and that makes sense. So I mean, again, that's how what the it, hell was that written? I agreed. Like <laughs> for how, for Bastion. For Bastion, I mean, how is he reading that? Yeah. Right. So that makes a Bastion Atreyu's true self. Does that make Atreyu Bastion's true self? I, I mean, I mean, they look at it. It seems like they look at each other. Yeah. Like, what is Bastion looking at? Is he just staring off into the distance while he's reading his book, yeah. or is he <laughs> right. like physically seeing something manifest in front of him? Right. Like, it seems to make sense, or at least what he wants his true self to be. Yeah. Like, if he wasn't bullied and whatever. You know? I think that that is a reasonable explanation, that they're each each other's true selves, or at least, like, the desired upon true selves yeah. that they would like to be. That makes more sense for Bastion to Atreyu yeah. versus Atreyu to Bastion. And then Atreyu's looking at him like... Uh, uh, 
silly I am you. You are me. <laughs> Basically, right? <laughs> Uh, the moment of realization kind of scares Bastion, though, and he chucks that book, right? Yep. <laughs> this has gone too far! This has gone too far! I throw this book! <laughs> it's too confusing. <laughs> I'm too confused. I need a th- thesaurus. <laughs> uh, but the story has to finish, so... Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Bastion. Get back to reading that book. What if they really do know about me in Fantasia? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and Atreyu passes through the mirror. So that represents, like, him, like, I don't... I don't know. Because all of a sudden he's just at the Oracle. I rewatched that. I mean, I rewatched the movie, obviously, but that part specifically, I'm like, is there something I'm missing? And that's really all I can get. And like you said, then he just goes through and, okay. Get, so if I had to guess, the seven minutes of movie that have been cut out are from the observatory to the first gate, from yep. the gate to the mirror gate, yep. from the mirror gate to the Southern Oracle. Yeah, yeah. That is probably the seven minutes of movie yeah, in there that's been cut two, out. two, and three two, out of two, each of them three. scenes. Couldn't you show me two seconds of Atreyu stepping out of a mirror on the other side? Something. Just stepping out of the mirror. Where, where is he landing? Just That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just we just get to see Atreyu walking up on the Southern Oracle. It is a super cool shot. Yeah. I think that the blue hue is just mysterious and really, really cool looking. It's like the first gate is like a rare and the yeah. second gate <laughs> yeah. is like an ultra rare. Yeah, right? yeah, that's, that's what it kind of felt like. Yeah. To, that's what it kind of felt like to me. Is it confusing that the first gate and the Oracle are the same thing, but different colors? Sort of. It's sort of confusing. The, the color difference is enough to make it, but it feels not as like... I don't know, like, you think that there should be a little bit of a wow moment to what the Southern Oracle more, actually is. Yeah, more difference. Yeah, just, there you go, more difference. It could have been just a different set of statues instead of the same Something. statues. Yeah, that would, that would have, I would have liked that. Double boobies again. Yeah, you, double you, boobies you, again. You know? <laughs> double boobies again. <laughs> Man, what a string of movies. Species to never-ending story. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Um, Atreyu does learn what must happen to save the Empress um, with a rather cryptic answer to Atreyu's question. You must give the Empress a new name. (laughs) I should add an echo effect on there in post-production. Oh, there we go. (laughs) But I can give her any name. (laughs) Uh, No one from Fantasia can do it. Only a human child can give her her new name. (laughs) Give her this new name. (laughs) Sounded weird. (laughs) New name. <laughs> you can only find one beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. <laughs> if you want to save the world, you must hurry. <laughs> like this is we've been telling you to hurry the whole yeah. movie. You must hurry. It's time to run. <laughs> we don't know how much how much longer we can withstand the nothing. <laughs> um and they just start falling apart. I sure I mean it it represents that you got to hurry. Yeah. Like you got to hurry up cuz we're falling apart. We're I falling mean, apart mm-hmm. like now. <laughs> So Atreyu calls Felcor. Felcor shows up at the Southern Oracle. Seems like more than seven minutes of movie probably could have been cut out. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Still some questions to be answered. So yeah, I mean, Atreyu probably could have just ridden Felcor to the Southern Oracle, um, which, you know, we wouldn't have had his journey. He wouldn't have 
had to go through his trials and tribulations to get there. Right. So that makes sense why Falcor was probably like, this is as far as I'm going to take you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get there on your own now. <laughs> that would have been funny, though. He just flew him over both those gates. <laughs> <laughs> on the way back. On the way back. And Trey is just like, what? What? God. <laughs> I could have done that the whole time. <laughs> Uh, now riding Felcor, Atreyu takes the words of the Oracle very literally, and they're searching for the boundaries of Fantasia, like it's a physical thing. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't suspect it. Like, in my mind, I would not have ultimately been like, there's got to be a wall somewhere that we can climb over. Yeah. I don't, I, that, I would have thought of it as more of a, like, a, not a literal thing, but as a figurative thing. Right. <laughs> but this is like flat earth theory or something. There's got to be an end. <laughs> anyway, you look at it. Faster, Felcor, faster. <laughs> All right, hang on. <laughs> and the adventure theme again. Uh, got goosebumps oh, yeah. again. <laughs> again. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So according to Hathaway, riding Felcor was not a very glamorous thing to do. Sure. Um, you would basically be on a 10-foot head and neck attached to a forklift motor, and you'd be 15 to 20 feet off the ground. So they're Yikes. not like... A short distance. Yeah. <laughs> be pads and like cardboard boxes in case you fell. And then apparently Felcor would overheat every 20 minutes, making him act similar to a bucking Bronco. Yikes. <laughs> so that doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot of fun. The real reason he <laughs> broke his back. And then also this also reminds me that uh, with these flying sequences, it's a blue screen, right? That's the way you create this look. Right. At the time of filming this movie, it was the world's largest blue screen used. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 90 feet high, 35 feet wide. Like, that's a big blue screen. That is a huge blue screen. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Like, some of the, like, the real, like, I don't know if groundbreaking is the right word, but, like, the attention, the detail, the lengths that these people went to establish the shots and the look that they wanted to establish. Yeah. It's uh, pretty cool that somebody felt so passionately about a movie made in West Germany in the mid-'80s when the... Uh, Berlin Wall was still a thing. Like yeah. we're still separated East and West Germany at their East and West Berlin at this point. That's crazy. So like that's a that's a testament to Wolfgang Peterson and whoever else wanted this movie made. Yeah. Because obviously Michael Endy might have wanted it made at one point, but then did not want it made anymore. Did, did not want it made anymore. Um, it's a really cool transition uh, from the flying skies to uh, Bastion looking out the window in the attic. Like that, I like that transition. It makes them feel connected. It makes right. them feel like they're kind of in the same headspace almost. Um, and then he says, I wish they'd ask me. My mother had the most wonderful name. <laughs> Um, back to Fantasia, where Atreyu and Felcor reach the Sea of Possibilities. The Sea of Possibilities looks like it's run out of possibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could go no further. So if we know the Rockbiter came from the north, and we know that Teeny Weeny and Nighthob came from the south and the west, so this is the east side of Fantasia, right? It's gotta be. Uh, it's gotta be the east. You, I guess Atreyu would not have been... Uh, knowledgeable of that information because you would have just headed straight east to begin with if you knew that other stuff. Yeah. They seemingly fly directly into the nothing, and Atreyu loses his grip and falls from 35,000 feet-ish, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there. That's some, like, that image of him falling beneath Felcor, and Felcor's, like, completely helpless. Yeah. That's some nightmare fuel if you're a little kid, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to have that nightmare. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you can have that nightmare. Falling into nothingness, and quite literally in 
Treyu's yeah. <laughs> Treyu's instant instance. Yeah, like that is I that is a frightening scene if you ask me. Definitely. Um Atreyu lived. <laughs> he lived. He lived. Um and is searching for Falcor minus one Aurin. Aurin. <laughs> Aurin. It's like that South Park episode, the Planet Arium. Arium. <laughs> Planet Arium. <laughs> um the beach that Atreyu woke up on looks like some real end of the world stuff. So the nothing is definitely there doing its thing. Yeah. Atreyu runs across a rock biter, so that's uh that's pretty convenient. Yeah. Like, great. Perfect. Th- he made it pretty dang far. I don't know. So after he made it to the uh, ivory tower at the beginning of the movie. Yep. And we're unaware of his travels after that. Do you think that maybe they were staying there for the most part in that area? And that explains why we're able to find the ivory tower so quickly after the end of the movie. Probably. And it's probably pretty close proximity to yeah. the center of Fantasia, maybe where this stuff is happening. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the rock biter is seriously depressed, like even more than last time at the end of this yeah. first scene. They looked like such big, strong hands. <laughs> <laughs> His friends died because he couldn't hold on to them. Like that is just depressing stuff. Yeah, just, just depressing stuff. And now the rock biter is going to let himself die. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> the only thing that he feels that he can do now, I guess. Yeah. The nothing will be here soon and I will let it take me away. That's man, dude. Man, dude, that's some really, really sad stuff. Some yeah. really like abstract concepts for a six-year-old to really grasp and understand that he wants to die because his friends died. Like, yeah. That's some heavy, heavy stuff, if you ask me. Um, Atreyu does continue to search for Felcor, moving deeper into the ruins of what must have been a city at one point. Um, and we see Atreyu and his story told on the walls of these ruins. Um, it's like... This is where his story is being created, the current story that we're in. So it's like maybe even a new part of Fantasia that yeah. may not be falling apart necessarily, but maybe being built up slowly. I mean, obviously it does fall apart because the nothing can't be stopped right, right, here right. quickly, but uh, that's what it kind of feels like. And it has like a real like religious motif to it, doesn't it? It, it feels does. like something that you'd see in like a Catholic church or a Lutheran church like yeah. on the paintings and such like that. So I'm sure that was no mistake. Um, he's looking at everything on the walls and we're seeing it from the beginning of the story all the way up and through his time at the, uh, at the ivory tower, getting his quest all the way up to where he's going to encounter the Gamork again, finally. And it's, it's literally right in the same room that he's at right now. Um, the Gamork doesn't know it's a Treyu in front of him. Confusing. Very confusing, considering he was actively hunting him throughout the beginning half of the movie. Yeah. He does say in this dialogue that he lost him after the Swamps of Sadness. But, I mean, if you, I guess, if he wasn't able to, like, well, you know what? That makes even more sense now that I think about it. It is weird that he doesn't recognize him maybe by the smell of Atreyu. Yeah. But the fact that he lost him makes perfect sense and wasn't able to uh, reestablish a trail on Atreyu because Felcor flew him away. That's true. Yeah. So, But it still seems odd that he wouldn't recognize what his prey was supposed to be, yeah. who he was hunting. Like you said, the smell. The smell. The, the smell probably would Yeah, the smell probably would have done it. Um, us and Atreyu, the audience and Atreyu, we find out what... Fantasia basically really is in this next dialogue sequence. Every part of Fantasia is a piece of the hopes and the dreams of mankind. 
Uh, Fantasia is dying because people have begun to lose their hopes and forget their dreams, allowing the nothing to grow stronger. Stronger, And Atreyu wants to know what the nothing is. And we find out that it's like despair destroying the world and that the Gamork has been trying to help it along. And um, Atreyu wants to know why. I mean, that's a logical question. Yeah. Like, why are you doing yeah. this? I would like to know. Um, and he says it's because the people with no hopes and uh, no hopes and... I don't know, no hopes and dreams. They're easy to control, and uh, whoever can control the people has the power. So it's some real, like, big brother stuff. All of yeah. a sudden, the movie turned to, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a turn that you don't necessarily see coming, and I didn't really grasp as a child. You know, it just I just remember this being, like, the scary part of the movie. Right, right. <laughs> and then Atreyu asks who the Gamork actually is, and the, we find out that he's a servant sent by a higher power to serve the nothing. Yeah. I did a little bit of research into what the Gamork is actually supposed to represent because I was taking it too literally thinking that some physical entity had actually sent some weird fantasy. Like there's some super boss, evil villain in Fantasia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Apparently he's like the manifestation of lies in the real world. Okay. And so like whatever government entity, religious entity, whatever powerful entity you want to peg that on, it's the lies they tell us to keep us under control. Okay. So that's what the Gamork is supposed to be, I guess. Um, It makes sense when I read that description, but I don't necessarily know that I would have drawn that conclusion. Definitely not. Taking it literally like I was is not the correct. (laughs) (laughs) There's no big super bad guy in this at all. Um, it gets revealed. Atreyu says, I am Atreyu. <laughs> the Mark's like, well, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> and Atreyu stabs him right in the chest. Yeah. Um, another instance of some heavy gore for, yeah. for a kid's movie. Yeah. Um, you Atreyu really gets one across the chest. He does. Like. He does get one right across the chest. Um, I wish that would have been a little bit more evident because yeah. it does. I, I, I wasn't able to tell right away. I mean, you can tell that later on that it is some sort of a scratch, scar, whatever, but I don't know. A little bit more evident would have been good for me. Um, he killed him with a pointy rock. So Killed I mean, him with a pointy rock. <laughs> killed him with a pointy rock. <laughs> um, right after the death of the, the Gamork, we see Falcor looking for the iron, all while the nothing is destroying Fantasia and possibly Atreyu with it at this point. Um, I love the effects of the... Uh, of the nothing absorbing the world at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a set being tilted on its edge and stuff, you know, to make him hang, but it still looks really cool. It yeah. looks, the, the rocks don't look like foam rocks. It looks like they carry their weight like they're supposed to. It's really well put together. I just really enjoy it. It looks like despair. It looks like destruction. It looks like the end of the world. Definitely. I, I like that a lot. Um, Felcor does find the Aran in the water. Like, yep. um, I, so was that his first task was to look for that? And then maybe he was going to then use it to help him guide himself to Atreyu. It must be. I don't know that I, I guess <laughs> he does. Felcor does rescue Atreyu just in the nick of time and boom, Fantasia is destroyed. <laughs> It's, and it's done. Uh, yep. Our heroes are in space now looking for the ivory tower. Um, it is really cool. I wish they would have had more adventures in space. I want a spin-off movie of just Falcor and Atreyu adventures in space <laughs> going all over the place. And then Atreyu has the great idea to let the Arnon guide them in the search for the ivory tower. And there she is. There she is. <laughs> the ivory tower. That music, man. There it is again. <laughs> Call me R.L. Stein because I've got goosebumps. <laughs> 
<laughs> just love when that camera pulls in on that tower. It looks so good. Absolutely. Every time. And I'm going to talk about it forever and ever and, and ever. 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 Uh, Falcor and Atreyu, they land at the tower and Atreyu enters the Empress's inner sanctum. I remember having a huge crush on the Empress when I was a kid. Sure, <laughs> I was sure. like, oh, man, I had a huge crush on her as a kid. <laughs> Huge crush. Uh, Stan, uh, Tammy uh, Stranich, Stranch, who played the childlike empress, lost both of her two front teeth before filming, so she's wearing fake teeth. Jeez. So if you thought she sounded a little goofy, that's why. Wow. <laughs> that's why. So that stinks. You get your first big movie role, and you lose your two front teeth, and they've put some fake teeth in your mouth for yeah. a movie. Atreyu, why do you look so sad? <laughs> I have failed you, Empress. No, you haven't. You have brought him with you. Who? <laughs> Who? Who was it? <laughs> the earthling child. <laughs> the only one that can save us all. You knew about the earthling child? <laughs> yeah, you knew about this guy? <laughs> of course. I knew everything. My horse died. Yeah. Uh, I almost drowned. <laughs> uh, I fell into the nothing. Uh, like, come on, lady. <laughs> what are you doing to me here? You knew all this? Uh, but he's here. <laughs> he's here with you now, listening to every word we say. <laughs> and then Bastion goes, what? <laughs> what? Where is he? Of course, Atreyu wants to know at this point because he's fairly exasperated at this whole yeah. this whole bit now, it seems like. Um just as he is sharing your adventures, others are sharing his. That's us. That's us. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I do love how it like kind of just spells it out there for you. Yeah. I, mean, I, I love that. It's it's really cool that they actually say like, that's you guys. That's, that's you guys. That's you guys. It's really like uh, some inceptional stuff. Inception type stuff. Right? Yeah. Not inceptional. I'm like the movie Inception. Right. <laughs> Bastion can't believe it. Well, you better believe it, buddy. <laughs> He's the only one that has the power to stop the nothing, but he doesn't get it yet. Nope. <laughs> he doesn't think that one little boy has the power to make a difference. Um, and then Bastion says, is it really me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about you yeah. in the book. <laughs> That's what we're getting at. What do I have to do? <laughs> Uh, and he has to give the Empress a new name. He's already chosen it. He just has to call it out. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? <laughs> With the ivory tower crumbling and the thunderstorm in Vancouver really messing things up, the window in the attic blows open. The Empress and Bastion looking directly at each other now at this point. Some pretty powerful stuff. Pretty you know, powerful like it's stuff. a really good like climax of the movie here yeah. coming. Uh Tammy should have maybe won a couple of Oscars. I really <laughs> like her performance. Yeah. Maybe not Oscars, but I really liked her performance. No, she is good. <laughs> um, Bastion, why don't you do what you've dreamed you could do? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I have to keep my feet on the ground. <laughs> oh, Bastion. Oh, Call Bastion. my name. Oddly sexual. Oddly sexual. <laughs> oh, boy. Just come on, Bastion. Just just scream out the name. You already chose it. Yeah, come you on. know what the name is going to be. So Bastion screams out. Do you know what the name was? I don't remember it. Moonchild. 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 So in the last podcast, I had talked about how I didn't know what the name of the mother was and how I had looked it up in the past and still couldn't find it. The information was readily available on the Internet when I was looking at it. And then when I watched the movie, I could hear him say it, maybe just because I knew what he was saying at this point. Sure. But I just really remember as a kid 
not knowing what he said and thought it was just like but it's it's Moonchild and he gave the childlike empress his mother's name so his mother's name was Moonchild okay do you believe that that dude his dad married a Moonchild I do not I do not either (laughs) I mean opposites attract I guess obviously a child of the 60s if your name is Moonchild that's a unique name I don't think I've ever run across that name in real life (laughs) get over your mom son she doesn't exist there is no Moonchild no more Moonchild finally though the Empress and Bastion are face to face it's always dark in the beginning at this point Fantasia has been reduced down to a single speck of rubble and Bastion has the power to rebuild Fantasia with wishes in his imagination Whoa, how many wishes do i get <laughs> as many as you want bastion oh baby so his first wish is to rebuild fantasia obvious obvious shouldn't have that been it even if he only had one yes like if he cares as much <laughs> and is invested into the story as seemingly he is that would be his wish <laughs> exactly but he's like how many do i get <laughs> I'm a little selfish. Even though this book was great and I'm very invested, I'm a little selfish. I like my mother back. He should have just like dead eye looked her in the face and was like, I want a million dollars and 50 hot hoes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Roll credits. Roll credits. Whoa, I did not see the ending coming. Um, So when now we get to see the triumphant travels of Bastion through Fantasia, we get our second like, yay, you did it from all the characters. You know, there's a train. Yeah, I love it. Our taxes are back alive. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and when that scene opens up, uh, Bastion like pumps his hand in the air and goes, Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm gonna include the link in the show notes, but there's a thing on YouTube called The Never Ending Yeah. And just go check it out. <laughs> it's worth your time. The never ending yeah. Never it's, ending yeah. It's worth your time. So, first wish rebuild Fantasia. Great job. Second wish, revenge. Revenge. <laughs> stone, stone cold revenge. Felcor loves it. <laughs> Let's go kill some children. <laughs> Felcor loves it. Yeah, he's like, this is awesome. <laughs> I love seeing Fantasia back on track, and even though it's petty revenge, it still feel good when you see the two of the kids get in the dumpster. Yep. Why didn't all three get in the dumpster? One got a kind of off on his own little thing, hiding under a big old bag of trash or something yeah. like that. But still, good revenge makes you feel good. That seven-year-old in you's like, "Yeah, stupid bullies." <laughs> <laughs> and the movie closes with some narration. Bastion made many other wishes and had many other amazing adventures before he finally returned to the ordinary world. But that's another story. Turn, turn around. <laughs> I, I couldn't get the I couldn't get the note at the beginning because then the song hits. Yeah, the song hits immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how's how's it go? I can't get the note. I couldn't get the note. How's it go? The I wanted to turn around every now and that's the song that I went into. It's the wrong song. Yeah, I just keep thinking of the beat. Uh, that dude. That's what I keep thinking of. Look at what you see. <laughs> In her face, the mirror of your dreams. Roll credits. Roll credits. (laughs) And everyone listening just got goosebumps. Yes, they did. Call them R.L. Stein because they got goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't sure if that was worth saying again, but I said it again. (laughs) (laughs) 
Final opinions. Did you like it? Obviously, obviously. I liked it. Yeah, this was great. Um, one of the movies that we've done that I did not see until this homework assignment, so that was awesome. And feels very 80s. Yeah. And I love every second of it. I like the fact that it's only 90 minutes, so we got to crank out a bunch of watch-throughs on it. Um, I told you when we talked about it last week that it, it's another one like Top Gun that I'm genuinely upset I didn't see when I was younger. I feel like I would have watched this so many times as a kid if yeah. I would have owned it. But uh, great movie. I know you like it, but what did you think, Drew? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love it, and I could watch this movie on repeat. I just there's something about it that is just like I can just keep on watching it and watching it and watching it. It never get it never got boring for me. So normally when I prepare for this podcast. I watched the movie a fair amount of times, and that last watch through on almost all of these movies, the eyelids start getting a little heavy a couple of times just yeah. because it's been seen a couple of a few times in a row now. This movie that did not happen with me. I was sitting upstairs getting my final watch through taken care of this morning, and I was like, "I'm wide awake during the whole thing. Yeah. Like, I can't believe it." Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> just it's just a great piece of the '80s. So many fantasy movies take their cues from the 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 foundation that this movie set down for a lot of other fantasy tropes and stuff as it went forward into the 90s and even to the 2000s and this movie deserves the respect it gets and i'm glad that a new generation with the help of us and stranger things (laughs) is getting to experience this movie because it's well worth everybody's time i really think it is it's just it should be one of those movies that you talk about when you're growing up like you haven't seen the never-ending story yet you gotta see never-ending story it's really old, but it's good. And like, way back in our like pre-intro intro episode, mm-hmm. I think you said Never Ending Story two. You almost thought you liked more than one. So is two and three good, or is just two good? Or I've never seen three. Oh, okay. Uh, two is good. It was the one that I saw first. I oh, saw okay. two first, and then went back and saw one. One blows two out of the water. Okay, sure. But I still really like two. Also, it's a little bit. Skew is just a tiny bit older than one does, so instead of hitting that like seven, eight, nine year old, this one kind of targets that nine, ten, eleven year old audience. The themes are a little scarier and stuff sure. like that, but it's still a good movie. Uh, but you know, any, the first one. Any way recurring characters? Yes, yes, they're all they're oh. all back. They're oh, all back. Okay. Yep, they're all back. Uh, different actors for Bastion and Atreyu. Sure. Um, the rock biter's back with a little baby rock biter. Yeah, he's nice. got a son. I remember it was a son. I don't think it was a daughter. It was a son. But yeah, I mean the same. Uh, 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 Falcor is back. Like the whole everybody's back. Okay, you know, cool. Everybody's back. So, uh, yeah, it would be worth a watch. We'll probably get to it at some point. At some point. At some point, but. I'm in no hurry to get to that one. For sure. That movie was worth getting to in the first 50. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about with the never-ending story before we move on to our homework assignment? Mm, only thing I'll say is that for real, if you did not watch this, you need to watch it. For yes. the music alone. But but <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's a really good movie. So go to your homework. Yeah. If you listen to this point and didn't do your homework, shame on you and go to your homework. And then listen to this episode again. And then listen to this episode <laughs> again. And tell your friends. Tell your friends. Uh, you do not have bigger fish to fry than this movie. You do not have bigger, <laughs> bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry. <laughs> 
So our homework assignment is going to wrap up Ren and Stimpy season one, and we're going to do the final two episodes of that season, numbers five and six. We already did episode three in our episode number eight, Double Tunes, Double Nicktoons Weekend, and in Overdue Homework episode 24, we covered one, two, and four from season one. Um, Ren and Stimpy was created by John Chris Falusi and it was originally produced by Spumco for Nickelodeon and is starring Martin T. Ren Hoek, Stimpson, Stimpy, J. Cat. You guys have heard me say that a few times already. (laughs) So episode five, segment A is called Marooned. And that one is another Ren and Stimpy. Nope, that's Untamed World. Not Oh, is Marooned the space one? There's another there's another uh, another space one in this set of in these two episodes. So either way, uh, marooned and that is five A. Five B is called Untamed World, a cartoon. That is five B. Six um, A is called Black Hole, and six B is called Stimpy's Invention. So just two episodes this time around. It should be a nice quick hitter of an episode. Um, we have talked about extra credit a little bit in the past, but we are going to record another extra credit episode after we record the Ren and Stimpy episode. So, boom. I'm excited to get some Ren and Stimpy done. It'll be cool to have season one done, and we will be continuing to do Ren and Stimpy. Season two will be on its way. Trav, take me to the outro. Let's get to some emails. So our first email comes from, sorry I don't go beep beep beep. Wants to know if we have a favorite book of our own. Favorite book of my own. Well, I, I'm going to say my favorite book is probably, it's a book called Ender's Game. It's by Orson Scott Card. And if anybody is familiar with Orson Scott Card, he has recently come under fire for his views on homosexuality and the trans community. I definitely do not endorse any of that stuff. But I love his Ender's Game book (laughs) and the whole series around it. So that's the I bet you have read that book a dozen times. A close second is uh, the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series by Douglas Adams. I've read those a few times. I absolutely love those books. Uh, Hilarious, hilarious books that really shaped the way I feel about sci-fi and especially like comedy sci-fi. Yeah, I would recommend either of those. And then. Um, another, like if you want to go for, I guess it's still considered fiction, but, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas is a really fun read too. Oh, that sure. I've, I've, never... en- I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed reading that one nice. in the past. I've shamefully not read as many books as I should, but my favorite I put is the Hobbit. Definitely a great book. I don't think I ever got through it though. I need to, oh, sure. I need to like read the book all yeah, the way through. It's just... really good. I've never read the Lord of the Rings books, but I've read the Hobbit. And just like you, I probably haven't cracked a novel in 10 years. Oh yeah. You know, like it's been a really, really long time. And yeah, I read through Harry Potter within the past decade, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just need to, I need to, it's just good for your brain and yeah. I need to do it. Definitely and need to do it more. I like movies and TV and video games though. Yeah, <laughs> there's no books on this podcast. Uh, next email comes from I Dress Myself by Myself wants to know what was a brand of clothing that was popular or even just something that you wore that you don't really see anymore? Zubas. Zubas. Yeah, Janko jeans. I You occasionally see a pair of Jankos out there. Yeah. Uh, Jabot jeans. Those are really big when I was in like, you know, fifth, sixth grade. Everybody had the Jabots. I yeah. never had Jabots. Yeah. Know. Um, I'm trying to think the like the the heat T-shirts, the color change when you would wear them oh, when okay. it was like sunny out. Those were really popular. I remember for a summer. Obviously, fanny packs. Everybody had those. Yeah, those were yeah. wickedly popular. 
Um, you know, Zubas especially. Did you wear Zubas? I did not. You did not wear Zubas. So there was this, you would roll them and pin them. That's when you were really, really cool, okay? <laughs> so you would like pull the pant leg out. So if you're not familiar with Zubas, they're a really like loose material. They're really flowy. Wrestlers were really into them in the early 90s. They're sure. actually invented in Minnesota, Ooh. interestingly enough. Um, I still have a pair of Zubas too hey. that I wear in the wintertime as pajama bottoms. Nice. <laughs> um, they're original Zubas with the pink lace in them and everything. I, I love them. <laughs> they have the weirdest print on them though. There, it's like a, it's like a palm frond print. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like a leopard print like it usually is, or like weird stripes and stuff. It's yeah. like, like tropical palm fronds. It's very weird, but All right. love them. It's like black and white. Like it's the main color is black and the palm fronds are white. It's nice. just, I don't know, but you would roll them and pin them. So you'd pull the pant leg out flat against your leg, so like all the extra would be out to the side. Yeah, and you'd fold it over. So that it would be tight around your ankle. Okay. And then you'd roll it twice. And where like the big ball was where most of the thread was or most of the fabric was, you'd take a safety pin and you'd pin it all together and you would wear them, your, your Zubas like that at school. And it was the coolest, the coolest, the coolest <laughs> thing you could do. Like, Definitely. It was so it cool. Sounds really cool. Roll them and pin them. Roll, roll them and pin. pin them. I'll never forget. You don't roll and pin your Zubas. And I was like, what? He's like, no, here, I have extra safety pins. We got to roll them and pin them. <laughs> okay, let's roll them and pin them. That's what I did from then on out. Life changing. <laughs> Life changing. Roll them and pin them. Huh. How about you, man? The one I wrote was bum equipment. Oh. B dot U dot M equipment. Yeah, I had yeah. bum. Well, I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not here to say that was popular. So that's not <laughs> answering the popular question. That's just something that I wore that I do not see anymore. Bum equipment. I remember, like. My elite-ish, expensive-ish clothes that I would get were like Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, and Tommy you Hilfiger. You I mean, that exists still, but yeah. it's not nearly like sought after, I feel like, as no. it was when I was a kid. That Hilfiger logo was like all over everything as much as Nike was in oh, the late yeah. 90s. Hilfiger was the coolest. Oh, I remember when I got my first like past the knees pair of <sighs> Tommy Hilfiger jean shorts. <laughs> jean shorts. <laughs> and it was legendary. And they had the little thing on the on the yeah. bottom of the cuff, the Tommy Hilfiger yep. thing, right? Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing back jean shorts. Uh, I had some Tommy Hilfiger painter jeans, so those were pretty BA. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Got them at the Tommy Hilfiger outlet in Medford. Nice. <laughs> Never forget that day. Oh, man. <laughs> Never forget that day. Oh, man. I miss old fashioned. Yeah, man. Stone washed. Oh, yeah. Stone washed. <laughs> Acid uh, washed jeans. Next one comes from Lego My Ego. Wants to know when you were a kid, were you a waffle, pancake, or French toast person? So it was always waffle was the first choice. Honestly, until I met my wife, you know, almost 15 years ago, I wasn't like a breakfast person. Sure. Like I would go to McDonald's and it would be like 9 45 or before. And I'd be like, any chance you could make a hamburger? Yeah. And sometimes they would do it. Nice. But now it, if I had to choose for breakfast stuff, it would be waffles. Okay. Pancakes are second. French toast are a third. The French toast gets to be too rich and filling for my taste. Sure. Uh, but now I'm a big breakfast guy. Kristen converted me into breakfast. So, But waffles. Waffles. Yeah. I'm not a big breakfast person either, but I still love all three of these. I put French toast as my favorite mm, Okay. One, actually. Yeah. Uh, when, but when I was a kid, I probably ate waffles more because mm. of the ease, yes. frozen waffles, yes. obviously. And I remember going to a local restaurant, the Ulmer, and getting pancakes that I would douse in syrup. Nice. Uh, stop me if you've heard this. Pro tip for French toast. You get a half a gallon of uh, vanilla ice cream. 
you melt it, and you use that for the batter for your French toast. What? It is amazing. Like instead, do you still put cinnamon in it, or do you? So there's no egg, or well, the egg's or, already in the milk in, in the ice cream. Man, that is. We're gonna be trying. That. You can you can add cinnamon or whatever you want, but sure. The times we've done it, just a melted half a gallon of ice cream, of vanilla nice. ice cream. Nice. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's pretty it's, dang good. I mean, good. it sounds pretty dang good. <laughs> Try it. Uh, last one here is my question for Drew. It's a zombie apocalypse. What weapon do you choose? A, a pistol with no silencer but unlimited ammo. B, a knife that's indestructible. C, an aluminum bat, or D, figure it out on the fly. So I'm going to, no offense, I'm going to disregard D. I'm going to choose between (laughs) your three options, and I think the choice is the indestructible knife. Sure. You do have to get pretty up close and personal if you want to kill people with it, but as a utilitarian device, if yeah. it's indestructible, would be indispensable. Exactly. Um, this you, you did not say that it limits you to finding other weapons. No. Nope. So you could potentially find other weapons later on. But, yeah. You know. This is your, you have it with you the whole time. The whole time. So I think I go knife. What yeah. about you, Trav? No, I, that makes the most sense. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, the only thing I debated between... The gun's not an option, and not in those zombie shows that no, watched. Like, no. yeah, it'd be fun for yeah. a while, but then you're going to attract way too many other zombies, even though you have unlimited ammo. Yeah. You also have to be an amazing shot if you get swarmed. I mean, I yeah. Um, but the bat was a close option because you don't have to get as close True. and personal. But I feel like you could get swarmed a little easier with a bat than you could with an indestructible knife. Yeah, uh, the bat has a better chance of making deadly contact with the head, though, right? Right. But the knife has a higher chance, if you do strike the head, of actually doing the killing in the first blow. Yes, yeah. So the bat might take more than one blow, but you have a better chance of hitting them in the head with it. So if I'm taking them all one by one, yeah. no, I mean, they're both valid options. But... What if I take, what if I am, if so if I am in a, like, forest fire lookout tower, and I have that pistol with unlimited am- ammunition, does that mean... And the gun never runs out of ammunition, or I just have an unlimited supply that I have to reload. You just have an unlimited supply that you have to reload. I still think if you're at a high enough vantage and your structure you're in is secure enough, where we're not talking zombies that can climb and run and stuff like we're talking. Yeah, we're not talking World War Z. We're talking, we're talking Walking, about dead. Walking Dead. Okay, Walking yeah. Dead zombies. Then I think you choose the pistol. Yeah. Because you could just be firing all day at these zombies, you know? Yeah, you got to reload, but you get really good at it after a that's, while. That's true. So in this hypothetical world within my, uh, my unlimited ammo, is it like in a storage facility that I have to venture to to recover for the day? Or is it like a magic box where I open it, there's a box of shells, and I can take it out and close it, and then open it, new box of it's, shells. It's a magic box. It's a magic box. Okay, so that... Then yes. Because otherwise no unlimited supply would be unlimited. No, so that that's part true. of it's gotta be magic box. Magic box. <laughs> uh so yes. And then you could potentially wait out a swarm, right? Right. But I mean, if you get enough of them, they're gonna have that weight crush on the stuff. Yeah. You'd have to have quite the secure location to be able to pull that off. 
The gun would be an option, but under some very specific circumstances. <laughs> right. Okay. The knife it is. The knife it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up emails. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the emails. And please keep helping us spread the word of the podcast. Uh, check us out on Instagram and Facebook for updates and assignments. And as always, don't forget to tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast.